Happy New Year, everybody. It's another edition of Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, the two biggest question marks on defense entering the season with a middle linebacker position, and in which direction would Ed Oliver take his career? A comprehensive review is on the way. We talk Bills Patriots with Pat's play-by-play man, Bob Sochi. As a lot has changed since Buffalo's last meeting with the Pats in Week 7, and Steve is hit with some holiday Bills trivia in the numbers game. Is it bad luck for an NFL receiver to watch the New Year's ball drop? Glad you're with us here on Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills Insider Chris Brown with you. And as the regular season winds down, we begin to review some of the more notable concerns heading into the 2023 campaign and how those concerns turned out. Did you have a comment first? Well, I, was the, I didn't get the ball drop thing, but the, I get it, dropping the ball. That's bad right. Bad luck for a wide receiver. It's bad luck for a wide it receiver. It took me a minute. I wouldn't watch but it. But I finally caught up to the party. Here Thank you. Well, Thanks welcome. You. We're glad Thanks to have you. Thanks for starting without me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, So, Chief, among those concerns coming into the 2023 campaign for the Bills on the defensive side of the ball was the middle linebacker position. With Tremaine Edmonds departing via free agency for the first time in four years, there was not a returning starter at the quarterback position for the defense. And while the Bills had candidates, by no means were any of them proven with the possible exception of veteran insurance policy A.J. Klein. In the end... Job one, obviously, by Terrell Bernard, who missed the entire preseason with a hamstring injury. But what we all witnessed as the regular season unfolded was an instinctive, athletic, high football IQ player who could not only fill the position, but run the defense being called by his head coach in just his second professional season. So, Steve, how would you describe your reaction to the season that Terrell Bernard has put together? Uh, surprising. Uh, I didn't think he could play this well this early. Um, certainly, he has crescendoed. Uh, he started out, he, was, he didn't see it quite fast enough, but his instincts helped him. His athleticism certainly is right where you want it. The only knock against him right now would be that he's a little undersized as an inside linebacker yeah. in the NFL, but he has, that has not been a problem, particularly given the quality of play of the four guys rotating a defensive tackle in front of him. They've helped him stay clean. Um, he has enhanced his ability to communicate. You watch some of the replays of these games, and you'll see Bernard turning around, talking and hitting up both safeties with some information, getting feedback from them, talking to the front. He is in the middle of that defense, and that's basically what he needs to do. And plus, um, he's made some splash plays, yeah. um, particularly in the passing game. He's much better in coverage than we thought he would be certainly better than uh, Tremaine, the guy he Edmonds, the guy he placed replaced. He doesn't take up as much space, obviously, but he covers more ground, and he's there quicker because he sees it quicker. Uh, so you've got to be really, really happy with the way Terrell Bernard has filled in when you really didn't know how it was going to go. Yeah, I I would say that it is instincts first and foremost that is the biggest difference between him. And Terrell and Jermaine Edmonds, because Bernard may not have all of the physical traits that Tremaine Edmonds had, who was at the deep end of the gene pool in that category. But when it comes to instincts, he's got Tremaine Edmonds beat in spades. And it's it's wholly evident as soon as you watch Bernard play one game, 
you can just see the way he triggers and reacts to what the offense is doing. You instantly see that this guy knows the game, can anticipate and get to places a whole lot faster and with more effectiveness than Edmonds ever did, who was more of a reactionary player rather than an anticipatory player. And to me, that's the biggest difference between the two. Some observers would argue that the Bills didn't just maintain a level of play at that spot with the insertion of Bernard into the lineup, but that it was enhanced. As we typically do, let's dive into the numbers to examine what Tremaine Edmonds did in his final season as Bills middle linebacker and see how Bernard measured up in his first season as a starter. In 2022, Edmonds was the team's leading tackler with 102 on the season, 66 of which were solo tackles, six tackles for loss, seven pass breakups, three quarterback hits, a sack, and an interception. His passer rating against, where a lot of people felt he thrived because of his athleticism and length, was 69.9, which was fifth best in the league among linebackers in coverage and third best on the team behind only Jordan Poyer and Matt Milano. This season, with two regular season games to play, Terrell Bernard is the team's leading tackler, just like Tremaine Edmonds was. He already has 124 tackles, 22 tackles better than Edmonds, 73 of which were solo, seven tackles for loss, pretty much the same number there, six quarterback hits, five pass breakups. But then to Steve's point, four and a half sacks, three interceptions, three fumble recoveries. His passer rating against, 76.8, a little bit higher, which is best on the Bills this season and ranks 11th among linebackers in the league. Steve, what did we hear from the defensive staff the last few years about what they needed more from the middle linebacker spot? You already said it. Splash plays. Right. And that may be the biggest difference here between these two players. Edmonds in a full season, one sack, one interception. Bernard in, a, in less than a full season, four and a half sacks, three picks, three fumble recoveries. I mean, it's splash plays has yeah. been the difference. And you're talking about a league where... We've talked about a lot on the regular show that there's a ton of game, like 70% of the, I'm not sure about the percentage, but above half of the games, maybe 65 to 70% of these games have been at some points of the season within one score of each other. Yeah, I think you're it's almost it's 75 to 78% of right. games. So you're talking about three quarters of the games that are in that one score range, which comes down to one play here, one play there. Yeah. And you've got a guy here that has given you three times the splash plays that your, the guy he replaced did, it makes all the difference in the world. You need plays like that because in the, when it comes down to it, in these tight games that we see all over the NFL, one or two plays are the tipping point, no matter when they come, because of the ripple effects as it comes in subsequent down and distances and, and possessions that go out through the game. So, yeah, it has been massive, the difference that yeah. he's made. The other big question concerning Buffalo's defense was whether Ed Oliver, after getting his bag of money, would blossom or remain a player who flashed his high-end talent every so often but never brought the week-to-week consistency the coaching staff had been hoping for. We've seen other big defensive tackles across the league take it out of gear after getting paid big money. The Bills even had an example of their own in Marcel Darius. The results with Oliver have been impressive, to say the least. Last season, Oliver, 10th on the team in tackles with 34, 14 quarterback hits, which was tied for the team lead, nine tackles for loss, three pass breakups, two and a half sacks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. Not a bad stat line at all. 
In 2023, however, with two games to play, Oliver is sixth on the team in tackles with 48, which is 14 more than he had all of last year, 14 quarterback hits, which matches his season total from a year ago, 13 tackles for loss, which leads the team currently, and a career high, eight and a half sacks and two pass breakups. I don't think there's any question he's better after getting his big contract, but what's been most different about his play this season. Well, if you take him at his word, one reason is he's stayed healthy. He's not dragging around a bad ankle or a sore shoulder or anything like that. Uh, Ed is the kind of player that even down inside is a bigger dude. Uh, he's undersized as a defensive tackle. He's mm-hmm. about 285, which is, sounds big, but it's a little light. And he ex- relies on his explosion and his athleticism. When he's healthy, he can give all of that all the time. And that, to me, taking him at his word, that's been the biggest difference. Yeah. But I'll say this, too. For all the stuff we talk about, the the guys that have burned the organization with getting, getting a big contract and then taking it out of gear or just not being invested totally, Ed Oliver has absolutely shown up emotionally with intent, with enthusiasm, with leadership. Um, he has really thrived, and we've talked about this before on the regular show as well. He seems to have been rev- invigorated by that contract. Oh, yeah. It was as though – that vote of confidence from the team set him off on a different trajectory. And it has shown. Again, kudos to Ed for playing as well as he has in his second contract. It's hard to get one of those from the team that drafted you in the NFL because they know that you how hard it is to play up to those contracts. Right. He's doing it. And and bless his heart, man, he is playing like a like an animal. Yeah. He he literally determined this team believes I am a money player and showed him in the form of a giant contract, and he has come out out and become a money player for this football team because you think about all the injuries on the defensive side of the ball that they incurred. Their all-pro linebacker, Matt Milano, their number one corner, Tredavious White. They were down in numbers in terms of the elites on that side of the ball, and he has shouldered the burden in a major way to do even more for this defense because we talk all the time, Steve, about how – This defense is one that rotates their guys up front regularly, like eight guys roll through to keep everybody fresh on defense. If you go look at the snap counts this year, Ed Oliver is playing more than anyone on the defensive front by a mile. I mean, he's up around 75% of the snaps. That's a big number. That's a lot of wear and tear, too. But to Steve's point, knock on wood, he's been able to stay healthy, and all of that time on the field has made him extraordinarily productive. Now... For the million-dollar question here, Steve, if you had to pick one player that you believe could make a similar impact on this roster next year, the way Bernard and Oliver did this season, who would be your pick? Either side of the ball. To me, well, I'm I'm kind of sticking on the defensive side. I didn't really think about the offensive side. There's only one name for me because of all the uncertainty about where the rosters are, contracts. You only got one or two guys under contract on the right. defensive line. You gotta, there's only one, and that's if Matt Milano comes back healthy. I would have loved to have seen what this defense could have done if Milano and Bernard would have been in there playing yeah, instinctive, right. fast football like they have. I think Matt Milano is going to come back and have a fantastic year. He's that kind of guy to come back and play well um, after a year where he, he lost the whole year to a, to a crazy injury. Uh, that's the guy I think I'm, I'm excited to see come back and yeah. be his old self. For me, it's, it's Kincaid. Um, he's been productive this year, don't get me wrong. I think he's been more of a stick mover this year 
for the offense in the passing game. We hear fans talk about it all the time. Hey, where are all those big downfield plays that we saw when he was at the University of Utah? Why is he only getting... I think he's a stick mover this year. You know, keep them on schedule down and distance-wise, mm-hmm. get some first downs. I really think next year you're going to see that next step in his development where now he's making 20-yard seam catches you know, for touchdowns. I think he's going to make more game-changing plays next year. Maybe we still see it here towards the end of this regular season and maybe even in the postseason. I think people will be all too happy to see it, but I think next year he definitely takes that step where he's making those downfield, game-changing kind of plays. Time to discuss Buffalo's next opponent, the New England Patriots, who have made a lot of changes since the Bills last saw them in Week 7, including a new starting quarterback. Here to discuss those changes and whether they've all been for the better is Patriots play-by-play man Bob Sochi. All right, Bob, so let's begin here. Uh, How would you describe the trajectory of the team since that big win back in Week 7 over the Bills in the first meeting? It's been a little up and down and uneven, but, you know, they're coming off a win here, a nice one on the road in Denver. Yeah, Chris, I would say the trajectory uh, has been a lockdown and some ups of late wins on primetime, interestingly, after they were flexed out of primetime for a game against Kansas City, uh, sandwiching a victory over Pittsburgh on a Thursday night. And then that Sunday night game on Christmas Eve, as you mentioned, against Denver, a common denominator, Bailey Zappi at quarterback, a big change from the last game between the Patriots and the Bills, which was Mac Jones's best performance by far. Really, I think in the last two seasons, going back to his rookie campaign of 2021, Zappi played exceptionally well in the first half against Pittsburgh. Patriots took a big lead there. They held on. And then against Denver, they had a big lead. They relinquished it. uh, But a struggling rookie place kicker in Chad Ryland kicked a 56-yard field goal at altitude in the final seconds. And they were able to win over a Broncos team that was short of Cortland Sutton down the stretch in that game at wide receiver and yet still managed to come back and erase a 16-point deficit. So what is the, you know, is this a roster issue? I mean, obviously, I mean, the the draft, uh, you know, we've got Bill Belichick, who runs the show. He's the GM. He drafts. He's got the the say and everything. What what is the state of, you know, everything off the field? Yeah, Steve. Uh, the the draft is where I think you begin with the personnel issues for the Patriots, and because of poor drafts, then you move on to free agency and some poor decisions or trades with uh, some really ill-fated decisions to bring in people from outside the organization. When you think about the Patriots drafts in recent years, I think the best statistic that tells it all is that since ni- uh, when you look at the last uh, you know eight, nine drafts, in the top three rounds, only one player taken in the first three rounds has signed a second contract with the Patriots, and that was back in 2013, Deron Harmon who might have been a reach taken in the third round that year as a safety out of Rutgers. He's the last top three-round pick for the Patriots to sign a second contract with the organization. small part of that is the fact that, you know, the Patriots may not pay guys to retain them, but the larger story is that so many of the players, you know, really weren't worth keeping around because of their performance on the field. There are positive signs with this year's draft class, several defensive prospects that have played very well, one of them injured in Christian Gonzalez. But I think the draft is where it begins, and because of either you know poor picks 
or neglecting areas like tight end, for example. The Patriots two years ago spent a lot of money in free agency. Uh, they haven't been able to develop wide receivers. When they did develop one in Jacoby Myers, they let him walk out the door through free agency. And they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster, big signing contractually for the Patriots, but a guy who came into the organization with a bad knee, rehabbing after a postseason injury with Kansas City, and has had very little production for them. And I think even though De Devontae Parker's played well the last few weeks, uh, there's another guy. Patriots made a trade for him. Really didn't work out for much of the two seasons he's been with the organization. They extended him in the offseason. And then, of course, they brought in Mike Gusecki as well. Although he caught a touchdown pass the other night in Denver, uh, that's been a huge disappointment for them. So it starts with personnel. The defense has been continually uh, reliable, I think, for the most part. But the offense has been, been very poor. And that's also impacted by coaching decisions. And you go back to last year, Bill Belichick's decision to appoint Matt Patricia and Joe Judge in charge of the offense after a promising season for Mac Jones as a rookie. And that really started his slide into right now kind of obscurity here uh, a quarterback that's already being written off in the middle of his third season uh, as a first round pick from a couple of years ago thought maybe to be the next quarterback for the franchise all right so let's let's talk a little bit more about Bailey Zappi here who you mentioned at the top and obviously they feel they have a better chance to win with him in the lineup as opposed to Mac Jones who made this slide as you mentioned um, what would you say is the most important thing he has brought to the offense, is there a is there a greater functionality and consistency to it? How would you describe it? Well, you know, it's an interesting story too, Chris, because I think this points to the roster management. He was waived out of training right. camp. This is a guy that anybody in the league could have claimed, and he was sent down to the practice squad. And the Patriots have brought in a series of potential number two, number three quarterbacks since that move. Eventually, he earned he earned his way back onto the active roster, but there was a reluctance to turn to him. But what he's done, I think, more than anything, is played with a better feel, movement in the pocket, and ability to make more plays, especially when they break down, and an energy that was missing. I think Matt Jones, you know, for lack of a, a better way of putting it, uh, was a quarterback who was broken mentally. Uh, turnovers compounding one another week after week, especially in key spots, tight games in the red zone. And he became a quarterback who was afraid to make mistakes, it seemed, rattled, sometimes affected by pressure that wasn't necessarily there and very poor mechanically. And what Zappi's done more than anything, I think, is just come in and played with a, a sense of calm and confidence that has carried over to his teammates. And he didn't practice well. He didn't take to Bill O'Brien's offense this season very well. He had a very poor training camp, not a good preseason. A lot of the processing the quarterback has to do pre-snap. Zappi appeared to struggle with in contrast to Jones early on. But in the games of late, you know, outside of the Chargers start, his first appearance as a starter this season, a 6-0 loss, he's shown an ability to handle everything he needs to at the line of scrimmage. And by far, he's coming off his best performance. He's 4-2 as a starter. So when it's counted, he's at least been more reliable these last two seasons than the Mac Jones's body of work. And it, as they come into this game, week 17 of the season, they've won two of their last three, as we talked about. Is there any sense that that, you know, that burden of being a, a bad football team has lifted from them? Like they've kind of figured something out? Or are they... Are they feeling better about their, their future now that they've kind of gotten their feet under them, one, two of the last three, uh, both of which were on the road? 
you know, Steve, it's interesting because there's still the cloud questions, criticism, and, and I think uh, on the part of a lot of people around here and media circles as well as certainly a large portion of the fan base, almost a sense of, uh, uh, of imminent uh, change uh, in wholesale change for the organization. But the one characteristic that I think is undeniable about the way this team has played is how hard it's played throughout the season, particularly on defense. You know, that unit has continued to hang in there. They've been beat up. In fact, really more affected by injury than the offense, which has been by far, you know, the worst unit uh, for the team. And I, I think they've really hung their hats on the effort they've given. Players have continually talked about that. There's a sense that some, no doubt, are playing for Bill Belichick. There are a lot of guys here who are pending free agents who are playing for their financial futures. And I think also going into this game, they're not only bolstered by the performance against Denver, but I think they're heartened by the fact that they beat the Bills earlier this season. You know, how, however much that counts for going into Buffalo when the Bills are riding a three-game winning streak and it seems like they've corrected some things that were affecting them in the middle of the campaign. But nonetheless, I think there's a better sense around this team of excitement for this game, I think, than in previous weeks. And as well, as I mentioned, confidence. Confidence from Zappi. Just confidence in the way that the defense has been playing in particular. And then quickly, Bob, before we let you go, on, on that note, with respect to the defense, it, it's hard not to notice number two against the run, number two in yards per number one in yards per carry average against what what I mean, they've always been a great red zone defense under Belichick. They're willing to give up yards, but then tighten up in the red zone, hold you to field goals. That's kind of the MO for years for this defense. But what has been particularly good about them stopping the run front? Yeah, Chris, and I think of all the numbers defensively, including the points per game, it's it's the run defense that is really most indicative of the strength of, of the Patriots unit on that side of the ball. Because I think the passing numbers are, are skewed in, in a great way because some of the quarterbacks they've played, right. especially you know, in the second half of the season. But the run defense has been very, very good consistently. And it starts, I think, in the middle. Devon Godshaw is a guy that has, you know, he's one of the few free agents they've brought in from uh, the NFL outside of the organization who's handled himself well here on the field. Former Dolphin has been exceptional on the nose, but the guy who's really stood out in the second half of the season is coming off a three sack, eight tackle performance. And that's Christian Barmore, the second round pick out of Alabama in 2021. He was affected by injury last season, but this season he's healthy. I think he recommitted himself in the off season to conditioning in, to stay healthy, uh, but also to, to regain some of the explosiveness he showed flashes of as a rookie. And the sacks stand out eight and a half overall in three sacks, as I mentioned, against the Broncos on Sunday night. But it's his play on every down and what he's been able to do penetrating uh, up front for the Patriots. And then there's a, a bunch of other guys that are very reliable up front, old pros like Dietrich Wise and especially Lawrence Guy have continued to play well for them. And a youngster in the second-round pick in Keon White has been coming on of late. Bob, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Appreciate it. Guys, my pleasure. Looking forward to being in Buffalo on Sunday. Thanks so much. Time for us to transition to the numbers game where Steve is going to be challenged with some Bills holiday trivia. Let's get it rolling here, Steve. Question number one. When was Buffalo's last home game in which it snowed? Uh, last year's playoffs against the Cincinnati Bengals. That would be correct. Divisional playoff loss to Cincinnati. We gave you a layup to start and get you warmed up here. Question <laughs> number two. Since the year 2000, 
Have the Bills played more on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day? I'm going to say Christmas Day. I'm sorry, oh. Steve. It is Christmas it Eve. coin flip and I lost. Christmas Eve, they have played six times really? since the 2000 season. I did not know On that. Christmas Day, none oh. since 2000. I missed that further than I thought. <laughs> so I here just... is question number three on wow. the heels of that. What do you think the Bills' one-loss record on Christmas Eve is since 2000? Six total games. What do you think their record is on Christmas Eve since 2000? 2000? How many times? How many times have they played in the Sean McDermott era? Do we know? Was that, uh, is that one of the questions? I don't know that I have that for okay, you. I right, know good. at least once. All right, last year. So I'm going to say I'll just say three and three. And you would nail it, Steve. They are exactly three okay. and three on shot. Christmas Eve a, since 2000. I missed a coin flip and had a one in six chance. <laughs> you nailed it. Boom. Final question, Steve. How many times have the Bills played on Christmas Day in their entire history? Once. Believe it or not, Steve, they have never oh, okay. played. I didn't miss that by that much. No, you did not. But I missed it. I couldn't believe that. They have never played what? Yeah, on but Christmas that, Day. Uh, that's. Yeah. I'm surprised by that because I, in my clouded memory, it seems like we did when I played. Well, it would seem like, you know, just by virtue of the way the calendar rotates over 60 years of Bills football, you would think at some point. How did I get to be so old? <laughs> Well, that just kind of happens for all of us. Uh, we now help you with the free-to-play pick'em game on FanDuel.com called High Low. Each week, pick a player or team to finish with the highest or lowest total for the week in a number of different stat categories to earn points. More points you earn, the bigger prize you can win. Play free for a chance at $10,000 in total prizes every Sunday. I will kick us off with the high for passing yards this week, Steve, and I am taking the 49ers. It looks like Brock Purdy will be able to go despite suffering his second stinger in two weeks, and the Commanders couldn't stop a clock. So <laughs> Niners high for passing yards. For me, I'm going low in passing yards. Your New York football giants, they're playing the L.A. Rams. It's got a lot to play for down the stretch. The Rams do. Their pass defense is not great, but the Giants are worse at throwing the football. So it doesn't matter if Tommy DeVito is in there or Tyrod Taylor. The Giants are going to get low in passing yards. All right, high for rushing yards. I'm going with the same Niners game. Christian McCaffrey against that commander's defense. Head coach Ron Rivera is a dead man walking, and his players know it. I see a mail-it-in game for Washington, which means run CMC should run wild. All right, for low for rushing yards, I'm taking that exact same game. Brian Robinson on the other side. Uh, Niners run defense is ranked third. Robinson's been nicked up with some injuries, didn't play last week. Washington is 21st in rushing, and they're playing an absolutely incensed 49ers. Oh, yeah, after the loss last week. Yeah, that's a good point. High for receiving yards, I'm rolling with Puka Nakua as the Rams face the Giants. New York's pass defense, bottom third of the league, and Nakua has seen more favorable coverage with Cooper Cup back healthy for the last several weeks. I think he'll put up some good numbers against the Giants. Low for receiving yards. I might surprise some people. I'm taking T. Higgins. Uh, they're going against the Chiefs, the Kansas City's pass defense is number three in the league. And it's not Joe Burrow throwing to him. It's still Jake Browning. I think Jake Browning's going to come back to the mean. Certainly they've, they've played well around Jake Browning, but he's not going to be able to do it, I don't think, against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Higgins might catch a couple of balls, but he's not going to have big numbers. So I'm going to take T. Higgins for low in receiving yards. All right. Our closing figure. 
deals with the Bills' point-scoring prowess at home since 2020. Over the last three-plus seasons, the Bills have a 30-8 record and a plus 403 point differential. That one-loss record and point differential are both best in the NFL over that span. That's it for this edition of Bills by the Numbers. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. That way you know when our next episode is out. Because when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year, everybody.